Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Welcome to Concord Matters here on KFUO AM Radio, the messenger of the good news. I am this week's host, Pastor Joshua Shear, Senior Pastor at Our Savior Lutheran Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And I am uh, coming to you from Cheyenne, and I have two guests with me today uh, to go through this article of the Augsburg Confession, the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, actually. Uh, pastor Matt Moss, who's pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran of Klinger and St. Paul Lutheran of Reedland, Iowa. Uh, pastor Moss, good to have you with us. Good to be back. All right. And then I also joined with my own circuit visitor, who is uh, Pastor Lincoln Winter, who is pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Wheatland, Wyoming. Uh, welcome, Pastor Winter. Hello. Good to be on. All right. Good to have you both on the air and able to hear you and everything. That's great. So, Concord Matters, if you're new to the show, we covered the Book of Concord. That is what Lutherans believe, teach, and confess before the world. Uh, it is It is found directly from God's Word and confessed in the Book of Concord of 1580. For the sake of the show, we use the Concordia Reader's Edition of the Book of Concord available available from Concordia Publishing House. You can often get it for a pretty good price. They have different cover versions and so forth. Please feel free to check it out, cph.org, for that one. Also, uh, we're covering the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. So, Augsburg Confession is made in 1530, June 25th. And it's made by the Lutheran princes before the emperor and the pope's representatives and so forth. And then, of course, the Roman Catholic theologians try to counter it with a confutation, so to speak. And then Philip Melanchthon takes up the task of defending the Augsburg Confession. So that's the apology of the Augsburg Confession. We have, for the last weeks, been covering Article 4 of the Augsburg Confession. That is the Article of Justification. And so the Apology spends a lot of time discussing justification because, of course, what's one of the main features of the Reformation? The rediscovery of the pure gospel, that we are justified before God by faith in Christ. And, of course, that major contention between the Roman Catholic Church and the Lutheran Church, which continues to this day. All right, so we are at paragraph 61 in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 4, and we will read uh, paragraph 61 through 63 right now, and then we'll have some discussion about this. In the first place, lest anyone think that we speak about an idle knowledge of history, we must state how faith is obtained. Afterward, we will show both the f that faith justifies and how this ought to be understood. We will also explain the objections of the adversaries. Christ, in the last chapter of Luke, commands that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. The gospel convicts all people that they are under sin, that they are subject to eternal wrath and death. It offers, for Christ's sake, forgiveness of sin and justification which is received through faith. The preaching of repentance, which accuses us, terrifies consciences with true and grave terrors. In these matters, hearts ought to be received consolation again. This happens if they believe Christ's promise, that for his sake we have forgiveness of sins. 
This faith, encouraging and consoling in these fears, receives forgiveness of sins, justifies, and gives life. For this consolation is a new birth and spiritual life. These things are plain and clear and can be understood by the pious. They also have testimonies of the church. The adversaries cannot say how the Holy Spirit is given. They imagine that the sacraments given are give the Holy Spirit by the outward act, without, good, without a good emotion in the one receiving them, as though indeed the gift of the Holy Spirit were a useless matter. All right, so we start out, and this is kind of a new subsection of Augsburg, uh, the Apology uh, Article 4, and we'll start out here talking a little bit about this. How is faith obtained? Uh, but also, first, uh, they assert, you know, they're speaking against an idle knowledge of history. And so, uh, Pastor Moss, if you would just describe this, what what are they going after here? Is it just the idea that, you know, faith is just knowledge? Well, yeah, there's the, the mistaken understanding that uh, what we mean by faith might only be the uh, academic content, you know, the... Uh, the Son of God was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, and died. We can name the places, the characters, the dates. It's historical knowledge. But why? Why did it happen? Why is it important? What does it mean for all mankind and for me? Uh, if faith is just historical knowledge, it doesn't answer those pressing questions, nor does it rise to the occasion of why Christ came and did all those things. Exactly. And as we get into this further, we'll find out, you know, how they define faith by belief as in trust in Christ and what he has done um, and how that works out. Uh, Pastor Winter, as we move into this here, we, we see this quotation from that last chapter of the Gospel of Luke where the Great Commission is given that uh, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached or proclaimed in his name, um, that indeed this message should go out. But then they say this, this gospel convicts all people. That are uh, that they are under sin. Now, for those of you who are used to listening, you you know that Lutherans have a law and a gospel that we distinguish between the two, and we keep them distinct. Uh, Pastor Winter, could you explain just this little phrase here? The gospel convicts all people that they are under sin, kind of in a in in the way that Lutheran theologians do that maintains the the distinction between law and gospel. Maybe this this kind of idea of the wider sense and so forth. Could you explain that for listeners, please? Uh, sure. It, when you read our confessions, they sometimes use those terms in a wide sense and sometimes in a narrow sense. So uh, here it's referring to the entire Word of God uh, that is preached, both law and gospel. And you'll sometimes see this with the word law used broadly to refer to gospel as well. And uh, usually today, uh, people will speak a little more uh, a little more specifically and, and identify law as specifically law, the commands of God, the gospel, the promises of God, uh, and then both together as the word of God. Uh, but they didn't, didn't always have that precision when, when our confessions were being written. And so uh, it says the gospel convicts all people that they are under sin and they're subject to eternal wrath and death. Of course, that's uh, a, a reference to the gospel in the wide sense, the, meaning the uh, the law, uh, the the entire word of God. Because then it also says after that, it offers for Christ's sake forgiveness of sins and justification. So they're they're speaking there of both law and gospel. 
Excellent. Thank you. So that's that's good to keep clear in, in your minds as you listen to the confessions that sometimes we use these words in, in two different ways. And here we have this wide sense versus narrow sense, and we can see that quite obviously uh, with conviction of and fear and, and terrors of conscience explained and so forth. Uh, it being a wide sense, but then the narrow sense being, of course, forgiveness of sins, consolation, comfort, uh, peace, and so forth. All right, so Pastor Moss, and then it goes on to talk about how this gospel goes out there. How How is faith then obtained? And this idea of preaching, right? So when Jesus is, in the end of Luke here, giving this repentance and forgiveness should be proclaimed, he's, he's also then what? Giving, giving who the command to go out and preach? Well, he gives it to his church, and uh, in the specific case here, to the, the apostles. Uh, and this goes hand-in-hand hand with what we had just said about uh, faith not being an idle knowledge of history. He doesn't just say uh, that the, the facts of Jesus' life should be proclaimed, but that repentance and forgiveness should be proclaimed in his name. Uh, that there's a very uh, personal address that these apostles and that preachers are going to address their people with, uh, the law and the gospel, convicting them of sin and then proclaiming that in Jesus Christ and for his sake they have forgiveness of sins and justification before God, and that that promise is for them. And the, uh, the faith is that which receives the promise. It's, uh, it's the hearing and receiving of what Christ has done and what the promise is spoken by the preacher. Thank you. Now, Pastor Winter, it goes on to talk a little bit more about this. This faith then encourages and consoles in these fears. So in the midst of all these fears caused by uh, our sins and the law speaking, its terror and so forth, it encourages and consoling. Uh, what kind of encouragement and, and encouraging can happen here in light of faith, rather than just kind of like a rah-rah, you're doing great, uh, I feel great about you and I want you to feel great about yourself? Uh, what kind of encouragement is actually, is is, is it I mean, what kind of encouragement are we talking about here as Lutherans? Mm -hmm. Sure. The, the encouraging and, and consoling, yeah, it's not just a, a cheerleader out there uh, leading empty cheers that, that don't have a lot of meaning, uh, but rather this is the, the true consolation that we get knowing our sins are forgiven and that we're right from God. Uh, our problem is that we are dead in our trespasses, uh, literally spiritually dead. We can do nothing to save ourselves. We can't even make a beginning uh, toward that end. And uh, if we are not saved, we're eternally condemned. And so what we need is the, the promise of forgiveness of sins being made right with God, uh, the sort of thing that the angels talked about at Christmas to the shepherds, that, uh, that Jesus is born now, that now there, he is the one to bring peace to earth, and he shows God's good will toward men. Thank you. And then, so we move on. Then we get to this idea that how is the uh, how is this all understood? And it says, you know, it can be understood by the pious. So of course, that'd be kind of inference, uh, by inference, you know, the, the believing, the faithful, so to speak. And they also have the testimonies of the church. So, Pastor Moss, would you kind of describe this idea that you know? Um, Lutherans believe that really to understand the gospel, you actually have to believe the gospel. Uh, that, that, of course, I think as Pastor Winter just kind of talked about how on our own, we don't understand this stuff, we, we don't believe it, we don't have any actions that are going to be motivated by it or, or even founded in it. But instead, even to just 
understand and, and to to have these things, you have to actually already be a Christian. Would you explain some of that? Well, sure. Uh, as it says, uh, these things that the, that the heart is convicted according to the law, in fact, is terrified by the law, and then that the, that the heart is comforted by the promises that for Jesus' sake we are saved and forgiven. This is plain and clear to the pious, to those who are given faith by the Holy Spirit, uh, when and where he creates it. Um, but it is uh, what we would say, it presumes faith uh, to say that these things are, are received. Our natural mind by itself, or the heart by itself in its sinful nature, will not believe that it's as wicked and evil as the law says it is. And so if the heart by itself does not believe that it's as evil as the Word of God says it is, then it's also not going to believe that it has or even needs the Savior that it has. Uh, so already the, uh, the rebuking and convicting of the law as a work of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God is already uh, tied in with this faith that the Word of God is going to tell you just how sinful you are and what punishment you deserve for that sin. And the pious heart actually hears and receives that word with uh, not just contrition, but actually terror over his sin. But the terror alone is not to be confused with faith. Even Judas was uh, convicted and terrified over what he had done after the fact. It's the, the faith goes that step further in believing the promises of the gospel that come immediately uh, after that, or, or should come with that if the preacher is doing his job, uh, to console that conscience with um, the very fact that Jesus Christ has died for that person, that their sins are forgiven in Christ, and faith receives that promise as a true uh, new life or new birth, as the image given here is. Thank you. And then it also describes, you know, that this is, these testimonies of this are, are available, you know, through the church, that the church of all time has seen this, and they have written of it, and they've testified of it. Uh, Pastor Winter, as we get to the last part of this, paragraph 63, we see this, this idea of the sacraments give the Holy Spirit by the outward act, or, or the ex opere operato of, of the Latin which you'll find throughout the confessions, without a good emotion in the one receiving them, as, a, as though indeed the gift of the Holy Spirit were a useless matter. Can you explain this a little bit for the hearers, the idea, the Roman Catholic idea of, of the sacraments and how they are helpful to the person? Sure, the, yeah, the, the idea of ex opere operato, uh, which means by the act of doing, uh, the, by the outward act uh, of just being in church, one is saved even if one doesn't believe uh, the word of absolution that's spoken, if, if one doesn't grab hold of that by faith. Um, I, I use kind of a strange example uh, to, to explain it. I say that you know, the, uh, if you were convicted of, of some crime and the judge said, well, you can either go to jail for 10 years or go over in the corner and whistle the Star-Spangled Banner while standing on your head, which would you do? Well, you do that, because it gets you out of, of 10 years in prison. But there's no real meaning to it. You're just doing the thing the judge said. And so there's this idea that, that the sacraments are effective 
by virtue of just doing the outward act. Um, they're, they're not. They're, they're things which, which bring us God, uh, but then we bra- grab hold of that by faith. And In fact, you see that this same idea that we criticize Rome for, you see now in the Reformed, which reject any idea of the sacraments, but then you say, well, why do you baptize? Well, because God said so. Well, but what does it give? Well, it gives us obeying God so that we can get to heaven. And, and they, they believe that it doesn't do anything. It, Rome, at least, believes it does something, even if they, uh, they say it just does it by the outward act. But the Reformed will, also, will then say, well, we're, we're just doing it to obey so that we, we mark that checkbox off. We're sta- over there in the corner whistling the Star-Spangled Banner on our head. You say, but why? What does it give you? Uh, scripture talks about immense promise given in things like baptism, in the Lord's Supper, in the word of absolution spoken. And uh, the reason God gives us those is so that we would have something uh, to, to grab hold of by faith, because faith, of course, always has an object. Uh, I remember once seeing something that talked about a belief in faith. Well, that's absurd. That's um, the faith believes in something. When I get into my car, I have faith in the car that it, that it will move. Uh, when I drink coffee, I have faith in the caffeine to wake me up in the morning. Uh, I, I use these things because I believe in the object itself as having something that's for my good. So also with the sacraments, uh, that they, they give what they promise, and we grab hold of that by faith, God gives them to us so we would have something to grab hold of. So when we're attacked by Satan, we can say, hey, get out of here. I am baptized into Christ. Very good. Excellent. And that's it. Uh, you know, this catechism says this even in baptism, along with faith, which trusts, you know, the promise and so forth. Yeah. Which trusts God's word. All right. So let's move on to paragraph 64 and 65 here in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 4. We speak of the kind of faith that is not an idle thought, but that liberates from death and produces a new life in hearts. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This does not coexist with mortal sin. As long as faith is present, it produces good fruits, as we will explain later. About the conversion of the wicked, or about the way of regeneration, what can be said that is simpler and clearer? Let the scholastics from so great a host of writers produce a single commentary upon the sentences that speaks about the way of regeneration. All right, so far the apology. We move into paragraph 64 there. Uh, This kind of faith that liberates from death. So this is the faith that frees you from death, of course, because, of course, the, the wages of sin is death. Faith receives the forgiveness of sins. And so, of course, uh, faith then frees you from the consequence of sin, uh, that is death, and liberates you from that. But then I want to talk a little bit about, with you guys, about this idea of it produces a new life in hearts, and that this is the work of the Holy Spirit. So, Pastor Winter, uh, would you talk a little bit about this, how, how faith is, is not just about being liberated from the dead, or from death, but then also that there is a new life produced. If you would talk for a little bit about that, please. Uh, yeah, I mean, a, a tree produces fruit. Uh, we don't think that that's all that amazing, and the tree doesn't have to. Uh, the, the the tree doesn't sit there thinking, "Oh, I better get some fruit going now." Uh, no, it just does it because that's what a tree does. And so, when our spirit is renewed, uh, according to uh, 
according to the gospel, uh, then we want to do those good things. Now, it's not always easy, and so there is, of course, a struggle in us because we still have that sinful flesh that, that wants to, uh, that, or that doesn't want to do God's will, uh, but our spirit is, is renewed, and so we want to do the works of God. Uh, there, there's a great scene in, in one of those old Luther movies where Luther's teaching the, the university students, and he says, uh, he's explaining to them justification and, and how it's not our work. And then, but one of the guys says, well, but Dr. Luther, we could do anything we want. And they're all kind of laughing, thinking of all the uh, evil things they wanted, they, they could get away with in this. And he says, well, yes, you can, but the question is, what do you want to do? Is your heart driven by the spirit, or is it driven by the flesh? And so uh, we, we want to do good works, not that they earn us anything, uh, but now our spirit is renewed, and so we do fear, love, and trust in God above all things. We do want to do the works of God. And that's, the, that's what the good fruits are. They are bound to follow faith, it says, as surely as apples are bound to grow in an apple tree. Exactly. And, of course, uh, words of Jesus there about the tree that doesn't produce fruit uh, being cut down and thrown into the fire and so forth uh, would be applicable as well. So the idea here is that the Lutherans preach this gospel, and then, of course, the Roman Catholic counter is that, well, then you Lutherans, like you said, you know, like those students in the classroom, you're just, you're just freeing up the sinful nature. You're just letting sinners do whatever they want. And, of course, then the Lutherans actually say, no, that's not what we teach. We do not teach that Lutherans can just freely go on sinning after they've heard the gospel. Instead, they talk about this right here. This does not coexist with mortal sin. Now, Pastor Moss, if you could somewhat briefly talk about this idea, mortal sin. I thought Lutherans didn't really have this stuff. Well, sure, I'd be happy to uh, explain it a little bit. Um... If your listeners are more curious, there is a bit more about it earlier in, in uh, this article, Apology Article 4. Um, but one of the big topics is, in the Lutheran Reformation is uh, the idea of purgatory and penance, acts that would get you out of purgatory or to repay your sins. Well, essential to that was uh, a rather artificial division of sins, mortal sins, which would automatically land you in hell, and venial sins, which you could make satisfaction for yourself. Not the satisfaction of Jesus Christ for sins, but your own satisfaction for those minor sins. And so they divided them up, and something like murder or adultery, well, that lands you straight in hell, barring something uh, truly profound like what David experienced after uh, committing adultery with Bathsheba and murdering Uriah. But normally, murder and adultery, well, that's mortal. Luther really flips this on its head and says, no, the sins that we think are venial and minor are actually the mortal ones that kill us. Things like taking the Lord's name in vain. Uh, and he expands that second commandment to include all false teaching, false doctrine, uh, which is truly rooted in unbelief. That is a mortal sin. Uh, and then the things like murder and adultery, um, they are also mortal sin. All sin damns. All sin uh, is evil and stems from unbelief. Uh, so here he would take the mortal sin and say, you can't have both faith and unfaith. You know, if, uh, 
if the um, false teaching of the second commandment or the despising of worship and God's word and the third commandment or even just despising and hating your parents, that's all stemming from unbelief, so you cannot say that it is both uh, faith and unfaith at that, in that action. Uh, you can't be a, a uh, murdering from the faith in your heart. It's completely the other way. The, the new man despises even the hatred in his heart, or even the thoughts. Excellent. And the Holy Spirit who is present in that faithful heart uh, testifies against those actions uh, with God's law. Yeah, this would be like what St. Paul calls grieving the Holy Spirit, and of course the Holy Spirit leaving, departing a person, correct? Right. The Holy Spirit is testifying, no, don't hit your brother, don't hit your brother, don't murder him, and then out of unbelief, uh, the old Adam finally rises up over that voice of the Spirit and says, uh, God, you do not know what's best, my brother must suffer, or my brother must die. Excellent. So faith cannot uh, be without works, but of course we're going to talk about how faith alone justifies the next segment here. How works are just part of the fruit. The Holy Spirit works through the faithful, does good things for the good of our neighbor, which give glory to God, and so forth. Uh, great little testimony here of, of Scripture, but also the, the teachings of our confessions in regards to faith, and that is our trust in God. So you've been listening to Concord Matters here on KFU AM Radio. We are at the end of our first half hour. We'll come to the bottom of the hour here shortly, and we'll pick up in this Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 4. Join us for the Daily Lectionary Study every weekday at 8 a.m. This week we're looking at John chapter 9 and 10 before doing an about-face and jumping into Mark chapters 1 and 2, thanks to it being the beginning of Lent and Ash Wednesday. So we'll be jumping from the man born blind, healed by Jesus, all the way back to his baptism, temptation, and battle with the world from a different angle as Mark sees it. That's His Time's Daily Lectionary Study, weekdays at 8 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. In 1924, we embraced the new technology of that day, radio. Since that day, we've stayed on the cutting edge of technology. There are many easy ways to listen to Worldwide KFUO. On the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the gospel of Christ in both word and song. Now that's why you should listen. The where and the how, well, that's up to you. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. Human trafficking is modern-day slavery, and it happens in our own communities. Victims can be any gender, age, or race. Join the Department of Homeland Security's Blue Campaign to learn how to recognize and report this heinous crime. Visit our website at www.dhs.gov slash blue campaign. That's www.dhs.gov slash blue campaign. Your second look could be their second chance. On the next Long Gospel, I, Tom Baker, am going to be talking about the transfiguration, but not the transfiguration of Jesus. Last Sunday, when we did Transfiguration Sunday, we spoke about the transfiguration of someone else. Tune in to find out who. Listen to Law and Gospel weekday mornings beginning at 930 on KFUO. 
Mardi Gras, in French meaning Fat Tuesday, has drawn as many as 1.4 million people to the streets of New Orleans. But did you know Fat Tuesday signifies the final celebration before the beginning of Lent? Lent, a period of 40 days, a time of solemn preparation for some Christian traditions, commemorating 40 days and nights that Jesus spent fasting in the Judean desert, recorded in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And did you know, around the year 400, Christians began to standardize the selection of Bible passages to be read by churches during different seasons, including Lent. In the Roman liturgical instructions from the medieval era, it noted that during Lent, the five books of Moses are read along with Joshua and Judges. Engage with the Bible in all the impact of this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Welcome back to Concord Matters. I'm your host this week, Pastor Joshua Shear, Senior Pastor of our Savior Lutheran Church here in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Coming to you from Cheyenne with a couple guests with me over the phone lines, Pastor Matt Moss, Pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran in Klinger and St. Paul Lutheran of Reedland, Iowa, and Pastor Lincoln Winter, Pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Wheatland, Wyoming. So we have just covered paragraphs 61 through 65 of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 4. And so now we can move into paragraph 66 and following. So we'll read 66, 67, and 68 here, and then we'll have some discussion about that. When they speak of the habit of love, they imagine that people merit it through works. They do not teach that it is received through the Word. They teach just like the Anabaptists teach at this time. But God cannot be interacted with, God cannot be grasped, except through the Word. So justification happens through the Word. Just as St. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Likewise, he says in chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes from hearing. Proof can be derived even from this. Faith justifies, because if justification happens only through the word, and the word is understood only by faith, it follows that faith justifies. There are other and more important reasons. We have said these things so far in order that we might show the way of regeneration and the nature, and that the nature of faith, what faith is or is not, about which we speak, might be understood. All right. So, they talk about this habit of love. Pastor Winter, uh, this idea of the habit of love, uh, can you explain this just briefly, this idea of the Roman Catholic habit of love, kind of like works completing faith and so forth? Uh, yeah, that's the, the you want to say, what, what we often call uh, works righteousness, that uh, they, they believe that it's our, uh, our faith along with uh, alongside of our works or alongside of our love uh, that really catches God's eye and, and convinces him that, that we should get into heaven. Uh, so the, wor so so the word isn't enough, faith alone isn't enough, you have to have that works of love, because I think Roman Catholics oftentimes will summarize the word works and they'll substitute the word love. Uh, yeah, or it's often of charity. Yeah, 
there you go, another word that they like to substitute rather than works, because, of course, nobody wants to just outwardly say, you know, yeah, I'm saved by works. Uh, that doesn't go over real well. Um, so they kind of have to play around with the words here. And then also this, this beautiful thing, Pastor Winter, if you would just talk briefly about, they teach just like the Anabaptists teach at this time. What, what, what is Melanchthon clarifying here? Yeah, the uh, Anabaptist doesn't mean what we normally think of as, as Baptist today, although in this sense I, I think that it, it, uh, it, does meet, it applies equally as well. Uh, but the idea that somehow our salvation, we, we're the ones who begin it, or we're the ones uh, who, who really, like I said, get, get God's attention with our works, uh, and that becomes a uh, that becomes kind of a, a proof that our um, that that we've been saved because we have put this effort into into all these good works and uh, the I mean the, the the Baptist plan of salvation is almost identical to the Roman Catholic even as much as as oftentimes they they seem to hate each other uh, but they just do it without sacraments they replace sacraments with emotions and. Uh, it's the same plan that you're you're saved when you do for God, uh, ultimately. Even though they, they'll say no, that's not the case. Uh, we're saved by faith, so now you have to make your decision. You have to follow Him. But you see, it's always that they, they always add to it. There's always that faith and. Which is exactly what the Roman Catholics are doing, even at the Reformation and even to the present day. Yeah. As well as there's always an and. So, Pastor Moss. This next section here, but God cannot be interacted with, God cannot be grasped except through the Word. We live in an age of, you know, tolerance and diversity and all this, all these other things are, are extolled as great virtues. This is a really exclusive sentence. Uh, this, this really excludes all kinds of other things. Why is that for our comfort? First and foremost, we can be sure it's for our comfort because God's the one who decided to do it that way. Um, sometimes Lutherans are accused of uh, putting God in a box and limiting the ways that he can uh, communicate with us, and yet we're not the ones who put him in a box. He's the one who has promised us the ways in which he comes to us, and every one of them has to do with the Word, whether it's baptism which is the Word with the water, or whether it's Holy Communion, the Word and Christ under the bread and wine, uh, or through the preaching of the Gospel and the forgiveness of sins. This is the Word of God, and He has promised to be present in it and through it and for your forgiveness. Uh, and He has given us this for our certainty. Our, our God is merciful and loving. He does not want us to be uncertain about what his son Jesus has done for us. So it, it does sound exclusive, and it is, because God wants it to be certain. Uh, and where there is certainty, there can be comfort and consolation. Where there is uncertainty, you'll have nothing but despair and, and wonder. Uh, endless nights of, of no sleep, tossing and turning, wondering if you've done enough, or what God really thinks of you, or why you didn't have the same religious experience as somebody else. All of that is bunk. Hear the word and believe it. Yeah, and in fact, I mean, the person who sits there and, and for long uh, struggles with, with all these things and the failures and the doubts and so forth, honestly, they're on their way to uh, complete and total unbelief. 
uh, that is, you know, atheism type stuff. And, and this is uh, for those who are evangelicals listening in, or even those who are former evangelicals, they can they can understand this, that the, the very uh, system of theology they have, that their churches teach them, that the Christian life they teach them, leads them on this kind of roller coaster. And what it does is it, it, it points them in every other direction for certainty, where then, of course, you can't find certainty because you don't have God's word behind it. Um, you know, it's usually something subjective, like emotions, experiences, feelings, so forth. And they just end up uh, shaken to the point where they reject the gospel. Uh, they reject God's word because it never worked for me. And of course, this is this is the point as Lutherans, we can confess this truth to them and say, no, there is something certain. There is something you can rely upon, and it's God's own faithful word. Now, Pastor Winter, if you would just quickly describe the idea of what do we mean when we say God's word? Um, you know, there'd be some who would say, oh, yeah, 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 66 books of the scriptures, chapter and verse for each. Is that is that the Lutheran answer to when we say in this here, except through the word? Not entirely. Uh, we have, of course, we do believe that uh, in ho that Holy Scripture is the word of God. Some people say it contains the word of God, uh, which is a way to basically say, only the parts I like, uh, but we would say that all of it is inspired and inerrant, uh, that it is the Word of God, it does present to us God's will for His people, uh, but that, that but it's that Word applied to us, that Word spoken uh, through holy baptism, where the Word is joined to water and, and applied to our head, where through the Lord's Supper, where the Word is joined to bread and wine to become the body and blood of Christ, and uh, then applied to our mouth, and through the absolution, where the word is applied by the pastor specifically uh, over against our sins. I forgive you your sins, just as our Lord has commanded us to. Uh, that's how God comes to us in his word, and of course also in preaching, uh, where the pastor speaks that word and explains that word of God. Uh, it's not just that you know, we leave Bibles out on the ground in parking lots. No, we, we, we open whole buildings just devoted to the Word of God. We call those churches. And so uh, people, we invite people to come into those churches to hear that Word, because that's where the gift is given. Excellent. And if you don't uh, have a church, go find one. Good Lutheran church, where they yes. preach law and gospel in Christ crucified for you, where the sacrament of the altar is... Uh, administered according to what Christ says. So that means it's kind of an exclusive thing, and you probably need to have some instruction before it and make a good confession of the faith before so as well. Absolutely. All right, Close. so moving on here, they, they make a good... At the end. They, could, they make a good uh, syllogism here. And uh, Pastor Moss, if you would, just really quick uh, kind of explain the syllogism that happens at the end of paragraph 67 into yeah, 68. This is, this is always uh, fun. At my uh, parochial school, I do include a bit of... Uh, informal logic as part of their confirmation curriculum, so it's always exciting when you can actually see it right there in an apologetic text, the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. Melanchthon takes two Bible verses, Romans 1.16, Romans 10.17, and uh, he's not just randomly proof-texting, he's fitting them into a type of argument called a syllogism. He's going to have two premises, two statements, uh, that because of these Bible verses especially, everybody, even the adversaries, must agree with these premises, and they lead to a natural conclusion that faith justifies. So he starts off with that word proof. Proof can be de derived 
even from this. Faith justifies because, here's premise one, if justification happens only through the word, which is what Romans 1.16 said, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, and the second premise, the word is understood only by faith, which is what Romans 10.17 said, faith comes from hearing, then it follows, this is his big conclusion, it follows that faith justifies. He has, uh, by using scripture and human reason in a proper ministerial way, serving the text, shown that the Lutheran explanation that faith justifies is the biblical teaching. Excellent. Thank you for explaining that. Uh, many folks, you will find that throughout the confessions, and especially if you get into reading the Reformation Fathers, you will find these kind of tools that they use all the time to explain uh, different aspects of the faith uh, from Scripture. All right, so let's move on to paragraph 69 and 70 here. All right, uh, now we will show you the faith justifies and nothing else. Here, in the first place, readers must ta ta be taught about this point. Just as it is necessary to keep this statement, Christ is mediator, so it is necessary to defend that faith justifies. For how will Christ be mediator if we do not use him as mediator in justification, if we do not hold that we are counted righteous for his sake? To believe is to trust in Christ's merits, that for his sake God certainly wishes to be reconciled with us. Here is a similar point. Just as we should defend that, that the promise of Christ is necessary apart from the law, so also we should defend that faith justifies. For the law cannot be performed unless the Holy Spirit is received first. It is therefore necessary to defend that the promise of Christ is necessary. But this cannot be received except through faith. Therefore those who deny that faith justifies teach nothing but the law both Christ and the gospel being set aside. All right, Pastor Winter, if you would just kind of briefly summarize some of what is taught here. This is just amazing, the, the idea of, you know, they're not trying to put up Christ versus faith or anything like that, but they're trying to put them all together. And I think you mentioned it earlier about there can't be faith in faith, but faith has to have an object. And, and this is kind of what this is confessing here. Could you explain that for us? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, you, you have to look to something. And in our faith, we look to Christ. Uh, and the, the, the argument Melanchthon's making here, look, if Christ is to be a mediator, which Rome would say, um, in what? What is he mediating? And here, he says, look, he's our mediator in justification. He's the one who reconciles us to God. Otherwise, he's not really mediating anything. And you see this in Rome with the cult of the saints, where they say, well, we can't go to God directly. We really need to have these saints to go for us. Um, well, that ruins the idea of Christ as mediator, doesn't it? Uh, th that's why they, they keep saying, look, Christ is the one. And if he is, then he, there has to be something he's doing. Otherwise, he's not really a mediator. So uh, I, I love this paragraph. Uh, it, it's, just, it's classic Melanchthon in the good sense, uh, where he's just explaining systematically what we believe so that you read it and you go, well, how could it be any other way? And it cuts exactly. both ways, too. I mean, it's not just uh, for the Roman Catholics who are not using Christ as mediator because they're relying on the cult of the saints and their own works, but even those who, you know, kind of transform Jesus into a life coach or your, or your boyfriend or your best friend and buddy, 
that's not using him as mediator either. That's setting him aside too. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's ultimately at the end of paragraph 70 there, it makes it very clear that, you know, all they're doing is going back to the law, which then means you have no need for Jesus, you have no need for the gospel, you're setting it aside, um, you're trusting in, again, your own works, as we've kind of covered in the past. Just to point out there quickly, uh, his definition, to believe is to trust in Christ's merits, that for his sake, God certainly wishes to be reconciled with us. And of course, that's the gospel, it changes our view of God. It changes. It lets us know that God indeed is a loving Father, uh, that that God indeed, because of Christ, has this uh, affection for us, has this uh, wish, desire to reconcile with us, and, uh, and it's important to remember that. And of course, then the definition of belief being a trust um, that is there. So let's move on. Paragraph seventy-one and seventy-two. When it is said that faith justifies, some perhaps understand it to mean that faith is the beginning of justification or the preparation for justification. Then it is not faith through which we are accepted by God, but the works that follow. So they dream that faith is highly praised because it is the beginning. For great is the importance of the beginning, as they commonly say, the beginning is half of everything. They speak as if one would say that grammar makes the teachers of all arts, because it prepares for other arts. In fact, it is one's own art that makes everyone an artist. We do not believe like this about faith, but we hold properly and truly. We are, for Christ's sake, counted righteous or acceptable to God through faith itself. To be justified means that just, just people are made out of unjust people or born again. It also means that they are pronounced or counted as just. For Scripture speaks in both ways. So we wish to show this first. Faith alone makes a just person out of an unjust person. In other words, that person receives forgiveness of sins. All right, so there's lots of concepts and phrases here tied together. The first one is this idea of faith being the beginning, which needs to be completed. Now, Pastor Winter, you discussed this a little bit earlier. Maybe you want to expand a little bit the whole faith and stuff. Um, that is common amongst Roman Catholics, but also amongst a lot of evangelical types, Baptist types, so forth as well. So if you would, just kind of describe some of this and kind of explain a little further based upon this paragraph. Okay. Yeah, this idea, they talk about this here. It says, uh, faith justifies that it's somehow the beginning or the preparation. And so you'll sometimes hear, well, uh, you know, God has saved, uh, but now you need to. Uh, do this or that or the other, and um, that's, uh, you know, I, I remember hearing uh, from people at one point that say, well, I'm not where I want to be in my faith walk, uh, as if somehow uh, we need to, you know, direct our steps rather than letting God do it. And they say, well, because I struggle. Well, yeah, you struggle, because you have the sinful flesh. Uh, and so we're, we're never going to be where we where we should be in this world, of course not. Uh, and this this is actually something comes up in the formula of Concord. It's been we've been fighting with this evangelical nonsense for hundreds of years. They say um, that we we don't we don't stand on the sole merit of Christ alone, but in renewal, therefore, in our own godliness in which we walk. Uh, this this you know any time you hear someone talking about what, what's the one walk the talk or, or talk the walk walk the walk I forget what it is how they do it, but that that's just that's not going to be Lutheran theology there. Um, 
and 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 I've heard that so much where we try to guilt and a lot of times youth youth events too we do terrible things to our youth when we do that uh, because we just guilt them and say well you you need to do this if you're if you're really a good Christian you'll do this uh, and as, as if somehow uh, those who struggle with with those sins are are not able to be Christians and, and we just pour lots of guilt on our youth and then we wonder why they get burned out in their 20s and don't come back uh, we, we really need to give them the gospel the the forgiveness that it's all Christ it, it's all Christ the the saving you don't do any of it uh, there is a place for talking about good works but it's not in the saving and and it's yeah. not like now God saved so you better do this thing to add to it you better show him how grateful you really are uh, that's just that's that's a damnable mixing of of law and gospel, and and it is it, it's damnable because it can lead people to hell, and we well, don't so want this that. This is why we have this distinction between justification, that is how you are saved, and sanctification, that is how God works through you in this life to to do good works and so forth, um, and we need to keep those always distinct. And uh, you know, in in offering correction to one or the other, oftentimes people are very tempted to overreact. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, that's that's a danger of the flesh to overreact rather than just to confess uh, what we believe and teach just that. Yeah, and we then, don't solve antinomianism with Methodism. Right, we absolutely don't. We don't we don't jump into other errors just to correct the error we see in front of us by uh, versus the error that maybe be behind us. Uh, so, Pastor Moss. Would you talk a little bit about this paragraph as well as we move into to 72 to be justified and, and so forth, to be made just and born again? I mean, referencing that language, I mean, here, here's the Lutheran definition of born again, right? Is to be faith, have faith and to be Absolutely. then a just person. Yeah, and hopefully after however many weeks our, our program has been going through this article of justification, your listeners will be a little more familiar with that term just or justified it is a legal term. It uh, is reminiscent of the biblical teaching, also confessed in our creeds, that uh, there is a judgment day coming, and that on that judgment day there will be a verdict rendered. And we already know what that verdict is because of the promise of Christ uh, that on judgment day, even though we are unjust according to our sins, our thoughts, words, and deeds condemn us, uh, we do know how we will be uh, called out on Judgment Day, we will be called just, righteous. Exactly. So we move on, on here to paragraph of Christ and for His sake, not on account of ourselves, but only for Christ's sake. Indeed, and so we summarize this whole section in paragraphs seventy-three and seventy-four. The term alone, sola, offends some people, even though Paul says in Romans three twenty-eight, "For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law." He says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. He says in Romans 3, 24, Justified by His grace as a gift. If the exclusive term alone displeases, let them remove from Paul also the exclusives freely, not of works, it is the gift, and so on. For these are also exclusives. It is, however, the notion of merit that we exclude. We do not exclude the word or sacraments, as the adversaries falsely charge against us. We have said earlier that faith is conceived from the word. We honor the ministry of the word, preaching office in the word, in the highest degree. Love and works must also follow faith. Therefore, they are not excluded so that they do not follow faith. 
but confidence in the merit of love or works is excluded in justification. We will clearly show this. And so the reference is there, what will be coming. And of course, here we're, we're dealing with the last part of this section, and we're dealing with the fact that the Roman Catholics have many objections to the Lutheran teachings on this, and and the Lutherans again confess. And they, of course, the first thing they do is that the first paragraph is is spent quoting God's word, especially Romans. That here we have these exclusive terms, and and of course the Christian faith is exclusive because we want to have truth, not falsehood, not any kind of mixture or blend or error or anything like that. But we have this this truth that comes from Scripture. It's confessed in these confessions, especially here we have this faith alone. And then of course we talk about what do we exclude? Well, we exclude works. We exclude those works of love and merit from anywhere near the the topic of justification. That is how people are saved. That uh, we we then of course have the honor of of having a ministry of the word that the preaching office is amongst us and we we pay that the highest honor and and the highest degree and of course then we rightly confess that love and works will follow faith but they are not included in justification they are uh, excluded from that and included elsewhere so you have this great summary of these these last paragraphs we covered and it's a great confession of this alone sola. And so you've been listening uh, to Concord Matters, where we confess the Lutheran faith as Lutherans over and against all the errors of the world and other church bodies and denominations and so forth against the gospel of Christ Jesus as found in the scriptures, as confessed in the book of Concord. You've been listening to Concord Matters. I've been your host this week. It's been my pleasure, Pastor Joshua Shear. I want to thank both Pastor Moss and Pastor Winter for being here as guests this week and confessing that faith uh, purely before the world and our listeners. Lord bless you. Listen in next week for another edition of Concord Matters.